If you could have one superpower, it could be any of the superpowers, but you can only get one, which one would you choose? Would it be um, flight or super strength? How many say speed? Anybody like, they just be able to run fast. I had some guy shout out, telekinesis, one of the services. That's, that's pretty cool. Let me ask you a different question. If your spouse or uh, parents of your kids or kids of your parents could have one superpower, or maybe a roommate or a friend could have one superpower, could be any one of them, what would you want them to have? Just careful, don't share. You might want to think about that before you share it with them. could be an interesting conversation on the way home. Uh, you know, we might not be able to leap over tall buildings in a single bound, but we all do have a superpower. And some of us, some people have actually used it to transform relationships. Other people have actually used it to overcome or cheat death. And every one of us has this superpower. But if you're like me, even if you know you have it, um, I often fail to use it. In his book, Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl describes how this superpower helped him and many others survive the horrors of life inside Auschwitz and other concentration camps in Nazi Germany. And Frankl says it was the one thing, it was the one power that the Nazis could not take away from the Jewish people. And activating this superpower is what he credits for saving his life. Any guesses? That somebody else said prayer. That's a really good answer. Maybe I should have taught on that this morning. No, it's actually, uh, that is a superpower, I believe. But the superpower we all have is the ability in any circumstance to choose our own attitude. We're in a series called My Family, My People. And this morning, I really just want to remind us that we all have this power to choose our own attitude in our relationships. And choosing our attitude, specifically choosing an attitude of contentment, is a superpower that can transform and strengthen almost any relationship, whether in our families or with friends or even with adversaries. I know that's a really bold statement. In some relationships, maybe we aren't trying to transform. In fact, if you're in an abusive relationship, I want you to hear me now. Like, I'm not encouraging you to choose an attitude of contentment in that relationship or with that abuse. This does not apply to every circumstance. And I want you to know our staff is here. We have leaders, we have staff who are here to help you. But for most of us, right, choosing an attitude of contentment in our relationships is a superpower that can transform and strengthen them. But, but for most of us, Contentment is not our default setting. It's actually uh, something that we need to practice, a muscle that we need to develop. Our default setting tends to be discontentment. We think about the things we don't have or that we're not good at. You know, I'm, I'm not thin enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not good looking or talented enough. Or maybe I'm just not paid enough. I'm just not content. And then we start thinking about our people and our family, and it becomes, I wish he'd listen more to me. I wish she was more adventurous. I wish they would just try a little harder to understand me. 
And pretty soon it's not just, I'm not content, but we're not content. Researchers actually uh, show, have they determined that, that our brains tend to wander um, at least a third to one half of the time we're awake. And while they're wandering, that often involves making assumptions and then ruminating on all of the different negative possibilities that could flow from those assumptions. And there start to be negative uh, thoughts and negative uh, consequences. And whether we recognize it or it operates in the background, outside of our awareness, discontentment influences the way we interact with others, often in ways that have destructive effects on our relationships. Because contentment just doesn't come naturally for most of us. Contentment is a learned attitude. It's like any other superpower. It requires some practice to develop the skill and to get good at choosing. It's kind of like Spider-Man learning to use his webs. In his letter to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul encourages those following Jesus to keep exercising their power to choose a good attitude in their relationships. In fact, he says it. He says, in all of your relationships, choose to have the same mindset as Jesus. And we've heard Kristen and we've heard Steph in this series talk about choosing an attitude of humility and choosing an attitude of vulnerability, placing value on others above ourselves. And this morning, we're going to hear how Paul talks about choosing an attitude of contentment. But first, he tells us this. He says, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is something that you need to be aware of and you need to try to do. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're invited to come try it and see what kind of gain it produces in your life. And he says this to the church. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Paul says, work out what God has and continues to work in us. And he's going to tell us, how contentment's a part of that in a second. But first, he reminds us, God has already worked his salvation in us. Through Jesus' work on the cross, through his life, death, and his resurrection, we've been forgiven. When we ask Jesus for that forgiveness and to receive his love, he fills us with his grace and his mercy and his love and the power of his Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit then helps us not just to act in ways that align with God's purposes, but to want to act in ways that align with God's purposes. We've literally been given supernatural power. And Paul's not speaking to individuals here. He's writing to the whole church. Paul says, let the Holy Spirit work in you, church, to help you work out these muscles of grace and mercy and power and love. As a family, work together and practice with each other. If you've gotten any kind of encouragement or comfort or kindness or compassion from being part of God's family, then practice those things with others in ways that reveal your trust in Jesus and that reveal your joy that you have in Jesus. And then Paul says one of the ways we can do this is to exercise our superpower and choose an attitude of contentment with one another. Here's the way Paul actually says it. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, 
children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Paul says one of the ways for us to work out what God has worked in us is to choose an attitude of contentment in everything we do, in every relationship we have. Paul's words go way beyond just telling us to quit our belly aching and and stop arguing. He's actually saying, let go of your secret disapproval and dislike or your dissatisfaction with others or with their views and instead choose a more cheerful and a more willing mindset towards them. You ever notice how, you know, when you kind of complain or grumble a little bit, like it never really makes you feel better? Like it only makes my day worse, it seems like. And do you ever notice how contagious it is? Like it doesn't just ruin my day, it ruins other people's days. That's what makes grumbling and complaining and arguing so dangerous because it can infect or even be fatal in our relationships with others. It can even spread to our relationship with God, which is exactly what happened to Paul's ancestors when God rescued them from Egypt. God heard them crying out to him, and and he sends Moses to help them. And then he sends all these plagues on Pharaoh to convince Pharaoh to let his people go. And then God parts the Red Seas, and he, and he frees his people from slavery in Egypt. And three days later, three days later, there's a group of people complaining because there's not water enough for them in the desert. Reasonable complaint. But there's three days after he's just done this miraculous thing. Within six weeks, the whole community starts complaining and grumbling against Moses. And not long after that, they're quarreling with him. And before you know it, they abandon God to worship a statue of a cow that they made out of the gold, the gold that God had given them when they were leaving Egypt by melting down all their jewelry. An entire generation misses out on the fulfillment of God's promises. Let's not do that. Let's not be people who grumble and argue. Let's choose to be content with God and with each other. That's how we become God's children. Paul says people in our broken world, not only will they not be able to find fault with us, but we are going to shine like stars among them. You think of Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And it's like Paul saying, here's how that works. He says, you choose to be content and you suddenly you shine like a star at night. And you lead other people to encounter Jesus. Choosing an attitude of contentment is critical to our mission of helping next generations encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world. Like a lot of what Paul says and writes, it sounds really good and it seems a lot easier to say than to actually pull off. I'm just thinking about those who are married in the room or maybe have a significant other I'm going to take a wild guess that you are not always 100% satisfied with your partner and with everything that they do. I know that uh, I'm a pile guy. Um, My desk, the kitchen counter, the coffee table, books, clothes, earbuds, tools, I leave a wake of just 
junk behind me everywhere I go. My wife loves it. My wife um, actually does love doing the laundry, and um, so she does that. And so sometimes the laundry for one week, and then a second week, there's two baskets, and then the third week, sometimes there's three baskets sitting in my closet before I actually put my clothes away. She loves that as well. Um, sometimes on Friday night, she'll text me, she'll say, hey, how about a date tonight after work? I'm like, great. And 8.30 rolls around, and she's asleep on the couch. Some of you guys know that. Some of you guys in the room, like you'd like to Netflix and chill more often than your wife does. Some of your wives would like to connect emotionally before Netflix and chilling more than what you want to. That's all all right, right? But sometimes, whether it's in our own heads or whether it's with a friend, maybe we start to complain a little bit. We start to grumble a little bit about some of these things that we're not satisfied and then before long, there's list develops of ways that we're discontent. And then eventually it spills out in the form of a complaint against our significant other, against our partner. And we find out they have their own list of stuff. And now nobody's content. Ain't nobody getting what they want. But here's the deal. We don't just complain because we don't get what we want or we're not happy. Our complaining is most often a bid for connection. Yeah, we want our needs and our desires met, but more than that, we're looking for our partner to just see us, to maybe have a little bit of empathy with us, and to ultimately restore our connection. Unfortunately, complaining's not very effective at connecting us with our people. In fact, it's counterproductive. It's contentment, contentment that paves the way to gain, not the other way around. Paul actually tells Timothy in another letter, he says, contentment helps pave the way. He says, oh, excuse me, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So it's like godliness is this great thing. Living our own lives in a way that honors God is a great thing. You add contentment to that, and that paves the way to great gain. It's like Paul saying, hey, love God and love others, and then choose an attitude of contentment, and then see what God does in your life and in your relationships. Because choosing an attitude of contentment is a superpower that can transform and strengthen almost any relationship, and it leads to great gain when combined with godliness. The rest of the time we have this morning, I want to share um, three practices. There's a whole bunch of practices out there we could do. I want, I want to share three practices, I believe, that we can choose to exercise um, our attitude-choosing muscles and develop this superpower of choosing contentment in our relationships. You with me? All right, first, I want to encourage us to take time to remember the good stuff. Take time to make our way back to the good stuff. Paul actually writes to the Philippians, he says, it, he says it this way, and now brothers, as I close this letter, let me say this one more thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and good and right. Think about things that are pure and lovely and dwell on the fine good things in others. Think about all you can praise God for and be glad about. Think about the good stuff. In our last series, we handed out uh, these little bookmarks 
with um, instructions on how to practice like an exam, like a daily exam of, of looking at the good stuff in our lives that God is doing. And one of the ways I've actually been applying that is to consider what did I do well today? Sounds a little weird, but it's actually one of those ways that I can silence that self-critic that's kind of running around in my mind sometimes. And I can actually choose to love myself and choose contentment with myself. But as I was thinking about this, I was wondering, men, what if we did the same thing with our wives? What if we took a little time at the end of the day to consider what are the things that we admire about our wives, that are lovely about our wives? Not just as our wives, but as, as a person, as a, as a human being. What are those things that she does that are noble? And wives, maybe you could find your way back to the good stuff in your husband as well. And then, I hate to say it, but then, what if we, what if we said them out loud? <laughs> wow. Yes. Big step, I know. But research actually shows that when we express affirmation audibly, we wake up our brains. And when we praise someone, we can't help but become more grateful for them. This is how God actually designed us. Praise creates a cycle of gratitude. And the research on gratitude is mind-blowing. It has a whole bunch of benefits, including better sleep and, and uh, less depression, less anxiety, less chronic pain, more happiness, and guess what else? Improved relationships. Talk about a superpower. One of the ways to practice this superpower of contentment is to take some time to consider the good stuff in your family, in your people, in your relationships, and then to speak them out loud and practice gratitude with and for others. Okay, second way. Second way to practice to develop this superpower is to practice turning mindfulness into prayerfulness. Mindfulness is kind of a big buzzword these days. It's really about paying attention to what's going on in our conversations and in our space around us, in our heads as well. Um, and so how do we apply this to our contentment? Part of it is to pay attention to actually when I'm feeling discontent, when I'm feeling dissatisfied. And then instead of judging those feelings, judging that, to actually turn that into a prayer to ask God to help, to help me choose an attitude of contentment. I've got a friend who's, uh, who's been complaining a little bit lately. Well, let me tell you first how Paul says this, so that it makes more sense, all right? Paul says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs, and don't forget to thank him for his answers. And if you do, this, you will experience God's peace. This is how Paul is saying to turn, prayerful, or to turn mindfulness into prayerfulness. Take your worries, take your negative thinking, take all this stuff, and turn it into a prayer with thanks to God, and ask him for your help, for his help. So I was saying I have this friend who's been complaining a little bit, and it's been, they've been complaining about things that have happened that I was a part of, and it's been hurtful. 
And uh, as I listen, and, and then they're with other people, and then I hear other people complaining about the same thing, and not all of it's accurate. And so that adds to the hurt. And I woke up the next morning, and I realized that I'd caught this whole sense of dissatisfaction and discontentment. In fact, it went beyond that to, um, I kind of wanted to put this person in their place. And then suddenly I became aware of my thinking and my attitude. And I tried this. Instead of judging those bad thoughts, I just said, God, this is what I'm thinking, and I know it's not good. And I don't want to think this way. And I don't want to do the wrong thing, but I need help. Like, what do I do with this? What's my next step? Am I supposed to confront this, or do I, do I say anything, or do I just let it go? I don't even know how to let it go, because I've been thinking about it not just this morning, but I realized it was last night, and I realized it's been the last couple of days. I prayed this prayer, and I didn't get any answers for what my next steps were. But it was amazing how I was able to let go of that attitude. I was able to let go of wanting to get back at the person. I was able to just calm down. And I wish I could say that I prayed for my friend. I didn't at that time. But I know that God's spirit is at work in me and will work not only for me to do that eventually, but to want to pray and forgive my friend. Paul says, bring your thoughts before God. Turn them into prayers. Let him help you choose contentment. Right? The Holy Spirit will infuse us with this power to choose an attitude of contentment that transforms our relationships. That's how our salvation gets worked out. Finally, I debated um, between two options. Uh, there's, like I said, a whole bunch of different practices, and I was going to share something maybe about disconnecting from our phones and social media, but we kind of all know those are major sources of dissatisfaction at times in our lives, so we need to practice disconnecting at times. Instead, I wanted to encourage us to do something else. I want to encourage us to practice playfulness. God actually invites us to enjoy our world and our relationships. Playfulness is rebellion against the brokenness of our world that threatens to strip away all the goodness that also exists in our world. Play restores a sense of, of creativity. It invites more curiosity. It serves joy and it reintroduces grace. It helps us reclaim our freedom to actually be children of God. So a couple weeks ago, Hope Chestnut, she's on our worship team, she sent out an all-staff email with a one-minute typing test. And it was hailed as the greatest all-staff email ever, which I take a little offense to because I send a lot of all-staff emails. But why was it so good? Because it promoted playfulness, right? It invited our staff into a shared moment of some fun. It didn't just produce more contentment. It created joy. Because playfulness plays a huge part in strengthening our, our relationships because it invites us to step out of stress, to step out of the routine, two things that can kill our contentment. And playing invites us to enjoy one another. And just like turning mindfulness into prayerfulness or making our way back to the good stuff, playfulness takes some practice. And you might have to think back, couples, to when you first started dating 
or the fun things, right? Or maybe, uh, you know, you're single and you need to think back to what was it like in college? I remember all of the games my roommates and I would play and we would create in our college dorm room, seat ball and hallway football, all kinds of stuff. Think back. You might need to get with your people and your family and brainstorm some ways that you can practice playfulness. And even if it's just one or two minutes when you first get home and you dance like crazy, or you speak in an accent, you just do something to practice some playfulness. Choosing an attitude of contentment is a superpower that can transform and strengthen almost any relationship. And it makes us shine like stars in our dark and broken world. But contentment's not our default setting. It is a learned attitude. We have to practice it. We have to develop the strength to choose it consistently. So I want to challenge you this week. Either find your way back to the good stuff. Practice turning mindfulness into prayerfulness. Or practice some playfulness. And see if it doesn't produce some gain in your relationships this week. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you that you, um, that your Holy Spirit is at work in us. Not just giving us um, this power, this superpower to choose our own attitude, but to want to. Sometimes that's the hardest part. We just don't want to. Um, we're not in that place yet. So I just ask for anybody in the room that that's true of this morning, Lord, that you would just work through them, work through your Holy Spirit, work in them, Lord, this desire to want to choose contentment. And then give them the strength to choose maybe a, a one step, just one way that they can start to practice this. Maybe to being a little more playful, maybe to just paying attention and calling out the good stuff that they see in their family or their people. Maybe it's just realizing that they're discontent and they just need to ask for your help to change that attitude. God, thank you for your promise to be with us, to walk with us in this. We desire this not just for ourselves, but so that we can shine like stars and help others around us encounter you and learn about who you are and your plan for them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.